What is crackalackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you with what is not NBA Finals content. Hopefully you enjoyed Game 1. I know I did. Super frenetic. Uh, we will get deeper into that as the series goes on. I know that information and reactions, those are going to be widely available. So like I said, we like to change things up and do some bigger picture stuff here. I will have a piece that's scheduled to go live on Bleacher Report Sunday where I'm talking about adjustments for each team to consider going into game two. So check that out if you would like. Uh, But I've brought on Justin Rowan from the Chase Down podcast to talk about the Cavaliers offseason just because they're they're such a fascinating team given how much that – They exceeded expectations. They dealt with a bunch of injuries. They have a key free agent in Colin Sexton, Karis LeVert's extension eligible. Um, There's a lot going on there. And so I figured it'd be a good time to bring him on, speak with him about the Cavs offseason, their outlook there. Lots of Evan Mobley talk. It's a great conversation. Remember to follow Justin on Twitter, one of the best NBA files out there, at CavsAnada. That's at C-A-V-S. A-N-A-D-A. Again, a fantastic follow. Highly recommend it. Conversation was a blast. Before we cannonball into it, I just want to remind, implore, beg, even plead with you all to help us continue growing this podcast. Ratings and reviews help us out a ton, whether or not you use Apple. So head over there if you have access to it. Throw us a five-star rating, write a review. I can't tell you how much those help us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com. Search Harbor Knox. We will come up. The link is in the podcast description as well. Also help us promote this podcast. Re, retweet it. Tell your friends, family members, people who you know like NBA basketball at large and are looking for some you know higher level, doesn't take itself too seriously, league-wide coverage, which is what I think this podcast provides in droves if I can be less than humble for a second there. Also be sure to join our discord. More people have been hopping in there. Hopefully the conversation gets more heated or well, not heated, but more fervent would be the word as we get deeper into the finals and also the off season coming up uh, and follow us on the socials at hardwood Knox for Twitter at hardwood Knox is on TikTok at hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. The links and handles to all of these things are in our podcast description. So If you've done all that stuff, we ask that you keep doing it, especially when it comes to helping us promote the podcast. It means a great deal. And finally, if this is your first time checking Hardwood Knocks out, consider just throwing us that permanent subscription. We really do try and do uh, a great job, a thorough job of covering the entire NBA. That is enough out of me, though. Let's talk Cleveland Cavaliers, their offseason to come, their long-term future with Justin Rowan. Justin, welcome back to the Hardwood Knocks podcast. It is your fifth appearance of all time which means that it's officially your fault the oh my god can be on me or they can be out of pay for you but the fifth time is is your fault how are you doing I, i'm doing really well i i'm happy to be back it, it is an honor i didn't realize it was five times but you know what you're one of my favorite people to uh to shoot the shit with so this uh this is fun um that means a lot i always love picking your brains about the calves who did not win the lottery i was a little no. bit surprised by that <laughs> um I don't know if you were crestfallen at all, but I was expecting I was expecting them to just win it at this point. They are headed towards like a fascinating offseason, which is why I wanted to have you come on. And I think I wanted to start with when I saw the season was over or was coming to a close, there was this subset of Cavs Twitter that was like unhappy or thought they should have done better. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to I want to make sure I'm not being like a zillion miles away from this. This year was an unmitigated success relative to injuries and initial expectations, right? 
What one hundred percent? I mean, this is the the fun thing about when you start to become relevant again is you get casual fans that that tuned in. You probably have Browns fans that were expecting a great season. Uh, there, there was the victory laps between different parts of Cleveland Twitter where the Browns kind of didn't live up to expectations, and then all of a sudden you have the Cavs exceeding expectations. So maybe that played into it. Um, I, I I do think. So there, there's two parts I, from a proof of concept standpoint and from just like a lay of the land standpoint, obviously the Cavs exceeded their expectations by a ton. Their their Vegas win total was 27. Uh, that was the easiest over bet I've ever had. And they exceeded my expectations. I, I only predicted 37 wins and they were on pace to be a 50 win team. I mean, the last third of a season after the all-star break really fell apart from an injury standpoint, but um, the, the fact that the young guys fit together as well as they did, had the success that they did, um, sure, they didn't live up to the expectations that they moved themselves by their play earlier in the year. Uh, but I, I think it was pretty understandable given the injuries that they had. Yeah, for sure. And you, you smashed the over. I remember on the, the look ahead pod, I did not, I took the under. <laughs> Uh, as did my co-sign promo. So they, and they destroyed it. I was wrong about so many things this year, the Cavs mm. among them. The, I, I'm curious as to whether you view it as the, I thought nationally the Karis LeVert trade was like panned because it was like, oh, they like look at the way that the pick equity works out. I was fine with it. I thought it was a good deal for the Cavs. Is there an element of making sure though, when you're projecting ahead that you don't want to overreact to the success of this season and try and, I don't even know what that looks like because the Cavs don't have a ton of cap space. But mm-hmm. you don't want to try and over accelerate this process, maybe go all in on a on a bigger trade or make more aggressive moves just because there is, you know, Evan Mobley's going into year two. Like <laughs> you kind of want to see this thing marinate a little bit. Yeah, I, I I think that's really important. And I've been big on saying this on the podcast as well, that I mean, really there is no precedent to players winning before like 26. Like there just isn't an example of that. And if they do, it's usually because they have a veteran teammate. Like when, when Kyrie won, it's because they had LeBron. Um, yeah, Evan Mobley, even though he wasn't their best player last season, he certainly projects to be their best player or at least the highest ceiling player on the team, which is exciting when you have two other all-stars that were 23 and 20, 21 years old in, in Darius Garland. Like that is just such a, a great place to be in. And I, I do think that you're right. I, I think you want to supplement the talent and you want to make moves to make sure that there isn't too much of a burden on those guys but you also have to have an understanding that the best path to getting better is through internal improvement and whether that is just the the growth directly leading to wins or also growth of some of these other players that might increase their value if you are going to do a consolidation trade at some point because i think when you look at this gas roster even though there are glaring needs there also is log jams when it comes to a, a talent standpoint like they it's it's going to get a little bit tricky because yes karis lavert got brought in but now you're likely bringing colin sexton back into the mix you still have isaac okoro uh you have the 14th pick which is likely going to be used on a perimeter player if i had to guess it's going to get tricky. Even Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens took strides last season as guys that you don't feel bad about being your 10th and 11th men, and you can give minutes to those guys. So it's going to be really, really interesting to, to see how the minute crunch plays out. But I, I definitely agree. Like, I, I think you want to make some moves, but you have to have an understanding that there is still growing pains ahead of them. I mean, look at the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, even if you have regular season success, I would expect for the next couple of years, they're probably 
probably going to take some lumps and have some lessons along the way in the playoffs. And their team, the Cavs seem more open to risk than the Grizzlies is just based off the way they both handled themselves in the mm-hmm. trade deadline. Uh, and so I'll jump to this just because it's more topical. The lottery, they land at number 14. Uh, are there any players you particularly like, or you even just mentioned like the need is the perimeter player. I mean, if they, I would, you know, be cackling my ass off if they end up drafting like Jalen Duran because he's just still on the board and it's, oh, another center. <laughs> They're going to play five of them at once. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really hoping that that's not the direction it goes. Um, there's some teams ahead of them that could use a center, so uh, I'm hopeful for that. I'm not expecting Charlotte to take a center at 13 because uh, I think with them having picks 13 and 15, they can probably do the math and say, if we like a center there, we can just take a perimeter player first because the Cavs probably aren't going to draft a center. Uh, even from a, an asset standpoint, that would be a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, there's quite a few players I like. Um, at this point, obviously, you're you're not getting like a real finished product. You're you're getting guys that uh, have some glaring holes, but there are players that fill needs. Wh- whether it is uh, a Malachi Branham, uh, Dyson Daniels, I'm really excited about. I I don't think he's going to be there, but if he is, I think that that's uh, a guy you run to the podium for. Jeremy Sohan, Tari Eason. Um, there, there's just a lot of interesting ways that they can go with this, and. I think one of the benefits of last season is you can get a little weird from a roster construction standpoint when you are building around Garland, Mobley, and Allen. Like, Larry Markkinen is not a three, but he can play the three because of the defensive versatility of those two. Darius Garland can play with other point guards. We saw how well it worked with Ricky Rubio. So if the best player available is a big guard and... You, you can feel pretty good that Garland can play on and off ball. He's malleable in so many different lineups. If the best player available is maybe a bit more of a four, but he has some ability to stretch the floor, you might draft him because you know you can flex him over there to the three with Mobley Allen lineups. And then when you do go small, he can play at the natural position for the four. So I, I think that there's a lot of interesting options in this draft. And as long as they're bringing in someone that has at least one NBA skill, I feel pretty good about it because it's going to be difficult to develop a, a player with all the options that they have available. I didn't even mention Ochai Abaji. I think that might be a, a direction that they go just to to fill a need in that kind of Cam Johnson-like mold. Um, but I, I, I am excited about the possibilities at 14 because even though they didn't jump in the lottery, it does seem like picking 14th for a roster this good is already a bit of a lottery win. Like they, they should not have a pick this high. Right. And my guess would be like, this is the perfect situation to where whoever they draft is going to be brought along slowly. Like you don't, Mm -hmm. I guess it could depend on who they wind up with, but would it be mildly surprising to you if whoever they draft is like a prominent part of their rotation next season? Uh, It would be a little bit surprising. I, I don't expect anybody that they draft to be a starter. Um, but if they were to draft someone like Abaji, uh, I, I could see them, him being ahead in the rotation, like in, in almost like the Jetty Osman role last year, where still getting a, a good amount of minutes off the bench, but there, there's just so many X factors when it comes to that. Like, is Karis Levert going to be back? What's the, the deal with Colin Sexton? Like, uh, how many minutes is Isaac Okoro going to merit? Like, there, there's so many questions and a lot of that's going to be just based on who develops over the offseason and who earns those minutes and what trades are, are possible. So there there are a lot of factors that go into it, but I, I can definitely see some of these guys at least getting, you know, that like 18, 20 minutes off the bench. 
everything I ask you is such a loaded question before we go through the offseason. Just a, it's just going to depend on what the makeup of the roster looks like. But I think we can assume the 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 super ultra big lineups are going to remain a staple of theirs. And I was just curious where you think that they could improve, like the setup of those. I went back before this podcast and watched a bunch of minutes of them because their their rebounding rate, like on the defensive end, concerned me during those times. So I'm watching. I'm like. Well, Evan Mobley is just doing everything all over. Mm-hmm. And Larry Markman is actually holding his own on the perimeter. You know, I don't want them to rank in the fifth percentile of defensive rebounding with those lineups, but I'm watching it. And I'm like, I don't think I care. Like, this is just <laughs> like absolute defensive anarchy. Mm-hmm. And so I assume they're going to remain a staple, but is there anything further you're looking to see from those types of combinations? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that I'd really like is to have a little bit more versatility in the types of lineups they play. Like even Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade, they played minutes at the three and Lamar even played some minutes at the two. But those guys are fours, right? Like, And the issue with Lamar Stevens is I think he defends forwards well, but when it gets to guards, anyone that's shifty, he tends to start fouling quite a bit. I would like to see a legitimate wing come in so just so that they have a little more de- defensive versatility. Like you look at that playing game against Atlanta and yeah, uh, Jared Allen's playing with one hand. He, he can't really grab the ball. And it, it's, it was the, the first time they had ever played together with Garland, Okoro, uh, Lavert, Mobley, Allen. Like those guys didn't get a single game together after the all-star break. Um, so I, I, I would like to see just the ability to throw different looks defensively because when you had Trey Young getting Larry Markinen on the switch, there wasn't an option you could really go to off the bench at the three. And uh, maybe it's a little easier if you do have Dean Wade, but even just bringing in a rookie or uh, using the mid-level exception to bring in someone like uh, Kyle Anderson or, you know, just like any, even Joe Ingles. Like, let's take a chance on, on Joe Ingles that maybe he comes back midway through the season and, and can kind of provide some playmaking. Um, I just feel like they had a lot of guys that helped them replicate the same style when they would go to the bench. And I would like to see the personnel that enables J.B. Bickerstaff to make adjustments. And uh, I, I think that that is one of the things I'm really looking forward to this offseason is can they add some versatility to the lineup on both ends? I'm curious to know what you think of Evan Mobley's offensive ceiling specifically and how that mm-hmm. then impacts their philosophy to flesh out this roster moving forward. Because you watch him on offense last year. And there's just so much more there to explore. And he's not, there's a different cadence to his game than Bam Adebayo. He's not throwing the same passes as Jokic, but there's like a real command there of finding weak side cutters of just like knowing where the help is coming from and finding those guys. And some of the, just the passes that he even made on the move at times, like I know he did a lot of his damage, like as a pass from standstill positions, this feels like someone who almost doesn't have a pinnacle on offense in the best possible way when you're watching it. I'm curious whether you think the Cavs are going to give him some extra runway or responsibility, however you want to frame it on the offensive end next year. Yeah, I, I definitely hope that he is empowered uh, to do more playmaking. Like uh, I think last year is a figuring out of, okay, what all can he do? And how can we help his transition to the NBA? Now that we have a, a sense that he he's ahead of schedule, that uh, he can do so many different things. Now it becomes about refining those skills. And I, I think 
it's really important that you look at how much effort the Cavs put into getting Darius Garland off ball looks. Uh, I believe only Steph Curry and Duncan Robinson had more like off screen, off ball action run for them on the season. And that is so important when you're talking about either bringing in another ball handler or having offense run through Mobley, like uh, the, the two man game that he and Garland can run together. It's just really exciting. The possibilities there. So I would definitely like to see more action run through him at, in the high post. Like let, let's, let's get him up to the nail. Let, let's see what he can do as a playmaker. He can obviously get by, a lot of slower defenders or overpower guys. You hope that he adds some strength. So uh, while I, I don't expect him to be like a Jokic level hub, just because you do have Darius Garland and you do have other options that can run the offense, I would like to see offense run through him. And especially when you talk about him essentially being the backup center where his minutes were staggered with Jared Allen, where they might start and finish together, but he did play as the backup center. So when the Cavs do go to that second unit and he is that center, I would love to see like an up-tempo look, whether they bring in a backup point guard, Colin Sexton likely would be playing in, in those second unit minutes, get out and run, get out and transition and kind of run some offense through Mobley if you don't necessarily have a true point guard in those lineups. Yet another thing I was wrong about this season, by the way, was Evan Mobley. I didn't, I was not in love with the pick for the Cavs. I was just, man, dead ass wrong on him. Mentioned Colin <laughs> Sexton though. Last time we spoke, we were both pretty sure that he was going to end up getting an extension. Instead, season-ending injury, entering restricted free agency. How should we expect this entire thing to play out? Is anything on the table, or do you think it's just overwhelmingly likely that, especially given the nature of restricted free agency, how little cap space is out there, the uncertainty surrounding his health, do we just expect him to be back in Cleveland next year? I expect him to be back. Uh, all the beat reporting seems to suggest that you know, the initial talks aren't that far apart, that, that there is a desire on both sides to be together. Uh, this isn't a Kyrie Dion waiter situation where uh, it, it's two personalities that butt heads. Garland and, and Sexton are really close. And when you listen to the comments of Kobe Altman, like he credits Sexton for starting the turnaround of their culture. He's just such a hard worker. And even though the start of the season wasn't the best for him offensively, the three-point shooting wasn't there, he still was at a career high in two-point field goal percentage. And he was playing off ball. Like, he was still, even though he was kind of the primary play finisher, the ball wasn't stopping with him. He he was playing as a cutter. His defensive metrics were a lot better. You, you look at a defensive EPM in the small sample size, and it was much, much improved. And I, I think that's what you would hope for Colin Sexton next season is once he gets his legs under him, that he's able to take on a little less responsibility offensively, be primarily that play finisher, but contribute in some of the other ways where in coming into the NBA, it was thought that he was going to be a good defensive prospect. He's got basically a 6'10 wingspan. He's got a high motor. Uh, you can see the on-ball effort from him. Off-ball is a totally different story. Uh, I, I have a lot of concerns on that end of the floor, but I, I do think that he's someone that would bring that playmaking juice, that that scoring punch, the ability to get and make a good shot or a, a tough shot when the, the shot clock runs down. And when you look at the Cavs last season, that was one thing that they sorely missed. That was something that they were really hoping that Karis LeVert can bring to the table. And while LeVert might be a better playmaker than Sexton, he's not a better scorer. Right. And I, I don't think it's it's not easy to just write off someone that efficiently averaged 24 and four. Like I, I it's that 
I, I don't get the sentiment that all of a sudden when there's more talent around a player, that all of a sudden it's going to be harder for them to score. That's usually not how this works. Especially, and even during that season, which I always go back to, I think Zach Lowe called it the most disrespected 24 points per game season in NBA history. Because it, it came <laughs> on like, it was like 38% from three, better on 50% on twos. And he was still doing, there was a lot more on-ball work for him, but he didn't feel like overly ball dominant during mm-hmm. that season either. And so I'd be with you that you think his game would scale eventually to having better talent around him. How do you view though, that collective of Garland Sexton Lavert? Is this something that we should expect to be more of a placeholder with, you know, Sexton new deal coming up Garland's extension eligible and Lavert. I think he's extension eligible now, but he hits free agency after next season. Yeah. Um, do you one think that it's not even a matter of, do you have to play them together on the floor? You could try it, but do you think it's like a, a triumvirate that works long-term or do you, do you view it as more of just like this stopgap? I, I feel Garland and Sexton can work long-term um, e- e- whether they're starting together or not. I don't have real strong feelings on that. I, I know it, it's funny. I, I feel like one of the ways that people can signal that, Hey, I'm not just a casual basketball fan. I understand it at a higher level is saying that an efficient scorer on a bad team is better coming off the bench. Like, no, no, no. I understand that there's more to it. Like it, it I, I, I get the Sexton as a bench off the bench and as a six man kind of thing. But at the same time, someone needs to earn that spot from him. And Isaac Okoro got a lot of opportunities last season. And assuming that Sexton is Sexton again, there wasn't enough from Okoro to make me think, okay, he has to start over Sexton. Like I Sexton in that starting role and then being the first sub out and running with the second unit and staggering the minutes with Garland. Like to me, I think that works really well. It gives you really dynamic ball handlers at all times. When it comes to Karis Levert, that's a little more tricky uh, because as you mentioned, he is extension eligible. Uh, If Sexton is getting a new deal, you have to kind of think, start to think about resource allocation there. And, um, I think he's interesting because, well, one, he is extension eligible. He is an expiring contract. So teams can kind of, if they value him long-term, they can either sign him to an extension or they can kind of play out the season and maintain some flexibility. Uh, I think that might create interesting opportunities. So like when you look at the trade market, uh, Chris Fedor put it out there that, Hey, maybe Cavs and jazz might talk about a Levert for Mike Conley deal where, uh, you talk and get kind of a more dynamic ball handler, someone that can help the offense and make things a little easier for Donovan Mitchell. And Mike Conley can step into that Ricky Rubio deal uh, or role where, yeah, he's a little overpaid and he's a little over the hill, but in a reserve role off the bench and as a mentor to Darius Garland, there could be some appeal to that. Maybe Duncan Robinson, you have a similar situation where the Cavs just say, we need to get some shooting in here. My goodness, even though we got better, the spacing got worse last season. Let's let's figure out something there, right? Like there are going to be options available, but um, I, I do see, I think the most likely outcome is that Levert starts the season. I just don't know if he's going to finish the season with the Cavs. And you have to start like two of those guys because I think the over there's I'm more concerned about the Sexton Levert minutes together without Garland because Garland's just like infinitely scalable. I think Sexton is super important to making the partnership with Levert work because Levert just doesn't have the same like it's it's not even just experience, but it's even skill off the ball mm. dating back to his time in Brooklyn. And so that could be sort of a tenuous fit if you're gonna make Sexton. Um, that first yank out of the lineup. And then I guess is Levert the first sub coming off the bench. If it's Okoro at that point, you're going to be relying on a lot of Sexton um, and Levert, which could get 
iffy. And so I don't even know what to think. We didn't get to see it, which sucked. I don't even know what to think about this fit. It's, it feels like a little bit of an, an overlap oddity and not something that I'm, you know, you look at Levert's size, you're like, oh, could you maybe play all three of them at once? I don't even know if I would ever want to try that if I'm Cleveland. Yeah, I, like I, I could see Garland, Okoro, Levert, Mobley, Allen working, but like Garland, Sexton, Levert, I, I just, that that gets tricky. And like, if they do go out and draft Malachi Branham at 14, all of a sudden, like there is a lot of redundancies between Branham and Levert, right? Like they, they are very, very similar offensive players, even though Branham has a little bit more outside shooting. there's deficiencies on the defensive end there's questions about their playmaking and getting other guys involved like there there, there's just so many questions and in there are good problems to have like you want to have talent and and i think they're prime for a consolidation type move but at the same time if they're all in the mix starting next season i i do think that that could be a little bit tricky i love mike conley to the Cavs. people are too down on mike conley i know he's had a couple rough playoff moments the past two seasons but he's also just been really bankable during the past two regular seasons i love that fit and had not uh, thought of it until you mentioned uh, i i would really like it uh we've discussed it in the chase down discord and like it, it's been something that i've debated with uh, other people that cover the team and there's a split like there's a lot of people concerned about him being washed concerned about the contract and all that but to me like you look at what happened with Kevin Love, where all of a sudden he's in a more kind of the minutes are reduced. He's in a better role for where he is at that stage of the career. And like over the regular season, Conley's numbers, like he's still shooting the ball at a good pace. He doesn't uh, turn the ball over too much. Like he's, he's a steady hand. He's a veteran. Someone, as I said, that can be a mentor to Garland. Like I, I do think that that's a, a really, really interesting possibility. Uh, you so you you've mentioned already that their biggest need is just on the perimeter. Like that's where you want to see them draft. Um, focus on free agency. Is it? What would you view as like the bigger need? Finding that Ricky Rubio replacement or actual? You know, Ricky Rubio is going to be a free agent. <laughs> that connective tissue on offense, or is it getting more lethal just perimeter shooting? Uh, I do think getting wing help is probably the biggest need, but. When it comes to the draft pick and using that pick to address the need, like I feel pretty strongly that this is your best chance to take a swing and like get some talent in there because they are going to have the middle level exception. You do have trade assets that you can use as well to address other needs. And if it's about getting a steady hand in at the back of point guard position, you can address that in other ways. Like we, we haven't even mentioned Jetty Osman, who has a, a non guaranteed year a- after this next year. So maybe he's going to be a trade asset maybe you can use him to bring in either a backup center so that you have a little bit of insurance if you have injuries kind of learning some lessons from last season or using him to bring in a backup point guard so when it comes to the 14th pick i would like to see them take a swing and then based on whoever was available and whoever they pick there's going to be ripple effect if let's say Ty Ty falls to the Cavs and they feel very strongly about him being the best talent available and they pick him That'd be a surprise to me, but at the same time, you know, take your swings. Mm. It's kind of like a quarterback in the NFL. If if you don't have one, keep taking swings until you get right. that guy. Um, so it, it would be a little bit of a surprise, but obviously then you start allocating those resources, the the trade chips, Karis LeVert, Jetty Osman, future picks, whatever it takes to bring in more wing help. So uh, 
I don't think that there is necessarily like any set path where I would say, okay, you have to use the pick on this guy. You have to use the mid-level exception on another guy. Like I, I would like to see the pick go towards a wing because realistically three and D wings or, or dynamic playmaking wings, like those are guys that just don't come available. And when they do, they're usually really expensive. So that that's my hope. But I do think that there is a lot of different ways that they can go. Without obviously knowing who they drafted, and I know you mentioned Kyle Anderson already, they should have the full mid-level exception, uh, non-taxpayers division, even after re-signing Sexton. Are there any names that you've sort of had circled that you would like to see them target? Again, obviously can be impacted based on who they draft. Uh, I think one of my favorite names right now is DeLon Wright. Uh, I would really like to see them bring him in as a backup point guard just because if you are bringing Colin Sexton back, Wright is somebody that can play with Garland and he can play with Sexton. And even though he doesn't necessarily bring the same playmaking chops that Ricky Rubio had, if you're talking about a second unit where you're going to have Mobley in an empowered role where he's provided more playmaking, you have Colin Sexton who, you know, he he can make the simple reads as a passer and, and he can run some pick and roll, but he's not the the best playmaker. Uh, if you have right, you have Sexton, you have Mobley providing some playmaking. You probably have Kevin Love, uh, who can act as a bit of a hub still. Like, uh, and and maybe a rookie. If let's say they get lucky and Dyson Daniels falls to him, and and all of a sudden you have like a, a point forward type player with them, I, I do think you can get enough playmaking within that lineup to make it work. So Delon Wright is definitely a name that I, I kind of have circled. Um, Kyle Anderson, as I mentioned, it would be a really interesting option depending on who they draft. It's a shame Robert Covington came off the board because I, I had some interest in him. Uh, but, you know, guys in that mold, even Nick Batum, I believe, is a free agent. Like, that would be interesting. Monitor Portland situation. Are they going to waive Josh Hart to clear up max cap space to to go after uh, Zach Levine or uh, DeAndre Aiden or something along those no lines? no idea like, what the fuck is going on in Portland. They, that team is... They're they're weird. They're weird. But I mean, it, look, it, I don't know. Just the quick tangent would be if you're gonna trade Robert Covington, Larry Nance, Norman Powell, and CJ McCollum in the same season, you better get a first round pick that year. And they did not. <laughs> and that's just where I land on this. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, they're a very, very weird team. Um, I, I'm sure they're going to try to take some swings. I would not be surprised if that's where DeAndre ended up, uh, whether it's like a Nurk and seven uh, sign and trade type situation, but they're definitely a team to monitor. Um, I do like the fact that there does seem to be some movement already starting. There's some trade talks uh, across the NBA because the one thing that's worked out for the Cavs is just how easily Kobe Altman works with other front offices. Mm -hmm. um, I, I forget which general manager it was, but it was in the Harden to Brooklyn trade where they said basically that they called up Kobe last minute because they needed a third team and they knew he wasn't going to screw around. He wasn't going to all of a sudden Daryl Morey at where he's asking <laughs> for, for the moon and the stars in addition to it. He, Kobe was ready. He was motivated and he's able to get in there as the third team. Same thing happened with the Drew Holiday trade. So if the Cavs, if there's movement around the NBA, I feel better about the Cavs' likelihood of maybe not getting a star within the deal, but helping to facilitate a, a, a trade because they do have a lot of expiring contracts. Karis LeVert, Kevin Love, Jetty Osmond, like there's 60 million basically in expiring contracts that they can use to help facilitate these trades or, or help other teams uh, achieve goals in other ways. Like, even if the New York Knicks, like, let's say the Cavs really like someone that's available at 11, they don't feel confident he's going to fall to 14, do the Knicks do, like, 11 and Fournier to get off that money for Karis LeVert in 14? 
Um, like, a, th there's so many interesting possibilities for them where I don't like Evan Fournier, but if you can add one more rookie that, that fits with this core, I, I think you need to be aggressive in exploring those options. I, the Knicks should be forward thinking enough and innovative enough to think that way. They definitely do not. That would be an interesting scenario. Hey, they, they need to get cap space because the one thing we know about the New York Knicks is they land free agents. They land all the big names year after year, decade after decade. Um, sometimes decades after they were in their prime is when they <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's the Lakers lane now. Oh man. <laughs> um for the Cavs, it's and you mentioned I think trades are gonna be important this summer. And I floated this idea to a bunch of people, and normally the feedback is you're an idiot, but because <laughs> there's no like real cap space around the league, I was like, are sign-in trades and trades in general gonna be like this hot button occurrence that we see coming out of nowhere in a lot of instances? And it was met with less disdain than normal. So I'm bracing myself for like a wackier summer. The, the sign and trades are back. Like I, it, it, when you look at like Malcolm Brogdon, like all, all these deals seem to be sign and trades now. So that's uh, that it definitely feels like they're they're back in vogue. And I think that's part of the reason why the Cavs like you talked about how the Karis LeVert trade didn't work out. But the Cavs understand they're not going to be a cap space team. They're, they're not a team that can really use cap space. Uh, they're not going to sign a marquee free agent. So one of the things you see is they keep rolling over contracts where they trade an expiring guy for someone that might be overpaid but it's going to be an expiring the following year and helps address a need now. So I think that's what they did with Karis Levert. I think Levert for Conley, that concept follows kind of that same trend where maybe Conley has a good season and all of a sudden you can combine him with whoever you picked at 14 to go in for a, a player that is available for uh, a consolidation trade next offseason. So uh, that, that definitely seems to be something that is becoming more and more in vogue around the NBA. I have, so the, I have three free agents that I've been interested, um, that I, I like for them. One of them is just mentioned all the time. I know he's smaller, but he quietly had a bounce back year with Gary Harris, uh, over 50% mm. on drives and his shooting was back. Just all of a sudden the shooting was back for most of the year. The other two, I don't know if they bring you enough hardcore shooting, but I think they would be fantastic fits is Pat Connaughton has a player option that I think he absolutely needs to decline given how thin the wing market is in free agency. And he mm. is, he will work on defense. He will work off the ball. And he shot the ball better really the past two seasons, it felt like. The other one, and I'm if he ends up sucking, I'm going to look like an idiot because I've been trumpeting him for a few months now. A smart team is going to scoop up Amir Coffey, um, mm. non-verb restricted free agent from uh, the Clippers. They really saddled him with like some creation responsibilities last year. He shot the three pretty well, and he defends like four positions. And that seems to fit defensively like the Cavs' motif and what they might be be looking for and he feels like the perfect complimentary guy i don't know the three-point volume it's the same thing with Connaughton. i don't know if they're going to get off enough outside looks to impact the Cavs shooting enough um that is the issue you just run into which is why i think you mentioning trades was so important you start to look at this free agency market and the Cavs are a better situation than most because i think the non-taxpayers mid-level it means something when there's yeah. so little cap space but then you start to look at the names available and it's like all right, well, like, what they need specifically, they're probably not going to solve in free agency. DeLon Wright, not someone I thought about, that would be a fantastic fit for them, for sure. And they seem like right in his price range. I think some... Well, was that a pun? Like, right right in the, his price range? Yeah, I didn't even realize I did that. Um, <laughs> but I know some mini mid-level teams are going to think that they have a shot at him, but I think he's more of a, a, a full, like a bigger MLE guy. So I love that. Um, I'm just... When you look at this team and you mentioned all of their... Uh, 
expiring contracts, who do you view as sort of the player that's most likely to get dealt from them if they make a move over the offseason? This is going to be the least sexy answer, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but I think it's Jetty Osman. Like, not, hey, based on how he played this past season, that's like he he had moments. So Jetty's interesting because I think Jetty played so much better when he was with Ricky. Uh, because Jetty can have a little bit of YOLO in his game and that shot creation and like just the willingness to take shots, I think really benefited them. But after Ricky was out of the mix and they bring in Rondo, Rondo isn't healthy either. And then Garland goes down too, and, and you're playing without point guards and, and Sexton's already out. Like it just fell apart for Jetty. And I, I think a consistent thing that you've seen over the last couple seasons is it doesn't feel like he's had the confidence of the coaching staff. Like he will fall out of the rotation at times. Uh, I compared him to an old clock where the longer you go without a reset, the further off it gets. Uh, and, and sometimes Jetty just needs a reset where you need to pull him out of the lineup for a couple games, get him back. And, and I, I know everyone thinks of JB Bickerstaff as a defense first coach, but I, I think what his bias is really is just, play hard like Lowry marketing isn't a good defender but he played hard within what they were asking him to do which is really what they're asking to bring to the table and Jetty's effort kind of would come and go so I, I do think especially if they are bringing in another perimeter player uh through the draft like there just isn't a spot for Jetty and and I feel like some team is going to at least have a use for him like he, he is a helpful rotation player and I, I think if you're bringing him into a situation where there is a backup point guard that can generate shots for him he's going to knock those down at, at a decent rate so he would probably be my pick after that I would say Karis Levert um just because I, I think despite him not playing that well with the Cavs, I think there's still value both in what he can bring on the court and as an expiring contract. Uh, one of my favorite scenarios uh, that I was pitching was Karis LeVert and, and 14 for Jeremy Grant, if they feel like th that could work uh, and work on an extension there. I don't think that's likely. It, it seems like Detroit's probably asking for the moon and the stars with him, but uh, I, I do Pistons think... Pistons Nation thinks that they're going to get number seven from the Blazers for Jeremy Grant. And if they do, probably seven and Simons, for, uh, <laughs> if they get that fantastic for Detroit, I, again, we already, we touched upon the wildness that was important, but yeah, I would be Jeremy Grant would be great. I just, it does feel like you're right. The Pistons are expecting a, a lot more. Yeah. Which is why I've kind of become enamored with Tari Eason. Like I, I know he's raw, but I also like watch him in college and I'm like, Oh, that's young Jeremy Grant. Like that—that that is like a lot of the same flaws. Uh, you know, is going to need some time. But I feel like that's someone that is just such an athlete that that is so disruptive on the defensive end. Like it, Jeremy Grant isn't a perfect player. I, I understand that. But when you think about like a Grant Mobley Allen, where Grant shot basically the same percentage from three at the same volume as Larry Markin in the last couple of years, like. I think the defensive versatility that you would have with that lineup, you'd be asking him to do less on defense than he has ever been asked to do. And keeping him in that kind of uh, confined role and keeping him as a play finisher, I think that's a really, really exciting possibility. I just don't think it's a, a very likely one. Where does Isaac Okoro fit into the larger context of this team? It's like he's he's fantastic on defense for the most part. Mm -hmm. like some of the stuff he does off the ball is just you know incredible. I don't know what he is on offense. He's hit more. He had, uh, he shot well after the all-star break from three and he's hit more of his corner threes for his career than I think people realize. Mm -hmm. I just don't know whether it's an issue of they haven't optimized him yet. They're not built to optimize him, Or is this just a, an incredibly finite skilled 
player on the offensive side. And then if you have the lineups you're running right now, how he fits into the Cavs longer term. Oh, man, Okoro is a, a tough guy for me to get a read on because you watch like his highlights, like um, the I, it's Cavalier podcast did a really good job of like kind of putting together his season highlights in, in chronological order. And you watch it and you're like, my God, this is like one of the most dynamic offensive players I, I've seen. But then you notice the opposing jerseys change a little more frequently than you'd like. And you're like, oh, that was only like two or three good plays and flashes within one game. And then it's the next game. And and that's really the the issue with Okoro. And I think Kobe Altman actually phrased it perfectly in, in kind of the exit interview where he said, we need to work on unlocking Isaac Okoro. And to me, I think the biggest thing for him is he needs to improve his handle because he is not able to get where he wants to on the court. But when you see him get the ball off a cut, like he will make really smart reads. He he plays very good team basketball. His skill set just isn't at the level where he can take advantage of his IQ at this moment. And he's a very good finisher at the rim. Like you will see creative finishes and there's the touch. And as you mentioned, the three point shooting got better. Like he improved his field goal percentage by 6%. He increased his three point percentage by 6%. His free throw shooting went up by 5%. Like across the board, he did get better. He just didn't scale up the volume. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I, I don't know where he fits into this because as we mentioned, like there's the questions about who they draft, what Colin Sexton looks like. Is Sexton all the way back? Uh, he probably benefits from having that injury so early in the season where he's probably going to get a good portion of it, an offseason here to actually get back up to game speed. It's going to come down to development. And on the one hand, I think it's really good to have that internal competition. These are all really hardworking guys that get along really well, that they have relationships even before they came to the Cavs. And I think that's really beneficial. But it's going to be a crunch for those minutes. Like you're going to have to really go out there and compete and provide something reliable. So for Okoro, I, I know everyone focuses on on the three point shooting and uh, and I know it got better, but if I could pick one skill set for him to add, it's improving that handle because if he could be kind of like a smaller version of Iguodala for them, I, I think that that's a player that's really helpful within a rotation because as good as his defense is, he's not a high event defender. Like he is in position and, and he's contesting shots and, and he's not giving up easy opportunities on or off ball and that's very valuable. But when you put him on a very good shot maker, like guys hit shots over good defense all the time. So I, I think he needs to add to his box score uh, in order to help justify him getting minutes. He's in sort of a weird spot where I think he's still intriguing enough to where you can't sell low on him. But he also feels like if there is maybe a larger deal, and I don't know how aggressive the Cavs are going to be on the trade market, that's no longer someone who feels like he's mentioned in the same breath as the no-brainer core of this team. So here's one for you. This came up yesterday because we, we now have both Chris Fedor and Evan Damerall mentioned Gary Harris, or sorry, uh, Gary Trent Jr. as a realistic trade target. And there seems to be some buzz that Toronto is at least listening to offers there. Would you do Levert and Okoro for Gary Trent Jr., knowing that you probably are going to have to pay him a, a fair bit in the near future? I would not because I think you're going to need to pay Karis LeVert a fair bit, and you've made your offense, which is already pretty fragile when it comes to shooting, mm -hmm. um, a lot worse. Like Gary Trent Jr.'s outside shooting, I think, is super important to that team. 
Um, you get more playmaking from Levert, of course, and Okoro <laughs> fits with whatever they're doing there, where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. if you're under 6'5 or over 6'10, like we're not going to play you or whatever. But, but from a Cavs perspective, you absolutely do that, right? Oh, with Gary Trent Jr. is a perfect fit for yeah. this team. Yeah. He's I, even an Ohio guy. He's from Columbus. It's perfect. You know, it's uh, writings on the wall. And in that scenario, I guess you are keeping the 14th pick as well. I, I would imagine that there'd be more compensation in there. Uh, but like to, to me, that would be a really interesting possibility. It's funny that you mentioned the Raptors. And I'm pretty sure it's sacrilegious to do this, um, especially to someone who lives in Canada. But I've given a lot of thought. And I think he's a fantastic player. And I absolutely would not move him. But I'm looking at Scotty Barnes, the season Siakam just had. Something felt a little weird with OG Ananobi on offense. He didn't step up the way um, he was supposed to. I think part of that is just, I mean, there was the the stop and start of his season was Mm. definitely hurtful. But now you look at just the functional makeup of that team, and I'm like, is he just someone who might be a little bit more gettable than we think? Because the Raptors seem primed to make like a a, a caps lock move. It doesn't feel like Messiah is going to sit in this mid-rung territory forever. And when you start to get into their contracts, it's like, okay, well, they don't have like the blue chip cornerstone aside from Scotty Barnes. You don't trade. And so you get into like what their salary fillers would be. And it's no, it's not going to be Siakam anymore. It's not going to be Van, like Van Fleet. And then you get to Gary Trent Jr. Like you mentioned, or I've just wondered if OG Ananobi is all of a sudden more gettable than he's ever been. So he, here's my thinking on this. And, and I'm on the same page because you could definitely tell like, oh, there was times where OG was a little frustrated. Like when Scotty and Siakam were healthy, like he went way down in the pecking order. And this is someone that got up to close to 20 points per game. I, I think that would probably be some of the thinking if they were to move on from Gary Trent Jr. is, okay, we need to get Siakam or we need to get OG more touches uh, to help keep him happy and that sort of thing. My thinking is like, I, I agree. I think OG would be the perfect fit. I don't see a world where Masai Ujiri, even if the Cavs had the best offer, would send OG to play with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Like, <laughs> especially when you're talking about like two young teams in the Eastern Conference that are probably going to play in the playoffs at some point, given the history these teams have had. He is not ever going to allow that front court to exist because that front court would ruin lives. Like that—that's a front court where you see it. You you walk into a gym playing pickup, and those three are standing there together, and you you take your ball and you go home. Like I, I do not know what you would do against those guys, uh, but I, I definitely agree. Like I, I think that that's a, a really interesting situation to monitor. Um, like maybe maybe Portland takes a, a swing and offers up seven and some players to to go get OG or something like that. If we can circle back to to the, the Blazers talk, like I, I think that would be a savvy move and can correct the wrong of them passing on OG in the draft years ago. But um, <laughs> I, I, I do think uh, like that's just that would be a dream scenario. And I would love to add a player like that. It just when you get to reality, I can't see Masai ever, ever, ever doing that. And if he did, I would question what the Cavs gave up at that point. Because it's, I think, and I don't even think this is enough, but like the, you start with Okoro and 14, and then you're yeah. building out the package from there. And I don't even know like if you get him to say yes to that. That was a great, I don't give that enough thought. I think that's one of the dangers of covering the entire league is I'm not really thinking about which teams won't, like if it's, you know, division rivals or something, or you might face them in the playoffs. But I'm not thinking like that. And I could totally see Masai being that type of guy that's no, I'm not, I'm not sending him to Cleveland. I'm not yeah, like that. well, especially because they are young teams. Like you have the the Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley head to head, and who knows? Like maybe the that dynamic's gonna get a little different in Toronto next season where they don't need to force feed 
Scotty Barnes point guard possessions because they're no longer trying to get him rookie of the year. Like, you, you know, that a <laughs> little bit of a shot I had to get in. But, you know, uh, the offense might just, you know, look a little bit different and there's probably going to be more opportunities for OG. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I think, like, I, I could see the Trent Jr. possibility more so than the OG <laughs> just because, like, you look at how much Toronto invested in, in developing OG and what a success story that is and uh, just how good of a fit he would be with the Cavs. I just feel like Trent, it's it's a different caliber. You're, you're in a rung where it's probably a little easier for Toronto to swallow and they're not as worried about playing against him in a playoff series. You're also, you know, if you're bringing back Gary Trent Jr. and, or if you're bringing in, excuse me, Gary Trent Jr., uh, you know that you're probably going to resign him if he declines his player option. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about to say you'd be doing, you know, Clutch a solid just before LeBron's own free agency, but I think OG is with Clutch as well. I'm not as up to the agency. So, is, yes. um, either or bodes well for that reunion. Uh, is there anyone or anything about this offseason for the Cavs I did not ask you about that you think needs to be discussed? So a thing I'm kind of trying to figure out is, especially if they are adding help on the perimeter, like let's say they draft someone on the perimeter and they uh, sign a a free agent that can give them some minutes there. I'm really starting to wonder, can Lowry Markkinen and Kevin Love be on the same team? Because when Lowry was signed during the sign and trade, another example of sign and trades uh, being back in vogue, um, I, I think the thinking was, okay, Kevin Love was not healthy enough to play last season. And Lowry is someone that can split time with Mobley and Allen. He's going to play in that backup four role. And I think the idea was to keep him in the role that Kevin Love was in. But Kevin Love was so healthy and so good and so bought in that they had to find ways to make it work. And playing Lowry at the three, given their need for spacing with that lineup, ended up working out pretty damn well. Long term, I still have a lot of questions because if you're drafting someone to be your long term three um, or even if you're just giving serious minutes to someone at the three and Karis LeVert might need to make play some minutes there because Okoro and Sexton are eating guard minutes like the minute crunch gets weird and I wonder if Lowry Markkinen might be available or if they look to move Kevin Love or something along those lines because just with the minute crunch it gets really really tricky like uh, one of the reasons they had to let Isaiah Hardenstein go last season uh was the fact that there just wasn't minutes to offer like when Ed Davis signed at media day he said I'm not here to play minutes like Evan Mobley's playing the backup center minutes. And even if they, they bring in a center, like there's just fewer and fewer minutes available at the four or five position. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. I think it can work for another year, uh, but just given Lowry uh, rehabbing some of his trade value, given love being an expiring contract and showing that he's willing to accept a smaller role. I do wonder if there's going to be trade interest and an ability for the Cavs to address some needs, given those guys. So I was actually having this discussion with one of my coworkers the other day about Kevin Love, who it was really cool to see him have a bounce back season and Lowry as well, obviously, but it was just with Kevin Love staying in Cleveland, everything that's happened since he signed that extension, it was just fun to watch. Um, I feel like the team I'm going to mention would only do this because they're trying to get out of the contract they'd be sending to Cleveland. I'd just be curious what the framework of a love for Gordon Hayward deal would look like, because you mentioned Cleveland talking, like turning these, you're rolling these contracts into different contracts that maybe they reboot or just super useful to them. He's like the quintessential example. He has two years left. Love has the one Charlotte cap space doesn't mean much, but they've, they've, they've started paying players. They paid Terry Rozier. 
they have to they have no choice but to pay miles bridges now Lamelo they might make a be, run at aiden like you never know right so um and love is not gonna he does not fix anything they need from the center position but just if they were people mentioned russell westbrook because he's an expiring contract kevin loves like an actual digestible expiring yeah. contract where it's not a trillion dollars i i mean ignoring the injury history ignoring everything that comes with gordon hayward what he brings from a skill set perspective is very good for the Cavs. Like that, that would be a really, really helpful player to have. Like that allows you to play Garland off ball. Like it, you just makes so much sense. Uh, that that's something that I, I definitely would find interesting. Uh, it would make a lot of sense. Uh, I, again, you'd probably be moving Lowry into that kind of six man or third big role where he's still getting like twenty eight minutes staggered with Mobley and Allen. Uh, I, I think that would be a really, really interesting possibility. Like if you were to like swap uh, Levert for Conley and love for Hayward, and then you, you have all these young guys coming off the bench. I, I think that's a, a, players. Yeah. Like there's so many kind of mix and match possibilities with the lineup. And I, I think that that like that, that's the type of versatility that I want to see from the Cavs next season, because I, I feel like, we are still at a point where JB Bickerstaff did a really great job, but we're learning about what he is and isn't as a coach, right? And uh, I, I think people too often treat coaches as a static commodity rather than someone that, like players, can have good and bad games and good and bad years. And JB, I, I think when you look at the extension he signed and the extension Kobe signed, uh, becoming president of the team, it feels like they're lo- laying out a five year plan. And I'm interested in seeing over the next four years um, what kind of adjustments, what development uh, they make and and whether or not JB can grow alongside this team. Uh, I'm really high on him. I I think you you look at the level of buy-in he was getting from the players and and, uh, the creative ways that he made the lineup work despite a lot of very clear deficiencies. I'm I'm really excited about that. I just want to see what does it look like when there is more versatile personnel around them. I'm just, I'm so endlessly fascinated. I feel like I'm endlessly fascinated with every team, but the Cavs are going into this offseason all of a sudden with expectations because of yeah. what happened this past year. And that's just super intriguing. The Cavs with those expectations separated from LeBron for the first yeah. time in forever is just feels like it could be just a very pivotal and even like sort of wacky wild offseason for them. So I'm just absolutely here for it. <laughs> Yeah, and the funny thing is we talk all these scenarios. I don't expect, like, massive, massive shakeups this offseason. Like, I, I think for the most part it's going to be running it back. There's going to be some moves along the margins uh, because Karis LeVert, as we said, it didn't work out. But when you look at it, what's Karis LeVert's greatest strength? Pick and roll ball handling. Uh, mm-hmm. From a points per possession standpoint, he had more points per possession in those situations than even Darius Garland, but he did not get to play a single game with Jared Allen after the all-star break, who was basically their only player that could set a screen because Kevin Love is going to pop every single time. He doesn't give that vertical spacing. He's got a, a chance to rehab his value. Colin Sexton, very effective pick and roll scorer. You hope that Evan Mobley is going to get better in those situations, setting screens, Isaac Okoro. Like I feel like Sexton, Okoro and Lavert's value could not be lower than it is right now. They may still have value, but I feel like they have an opportunity to really play better next season in defined roles or in Colin Sexton's case, prove that he can get back on a basketball court, right? So um, I, I think the, the smartest move for them might be minor tweaks on the margins, 
bring addressing the backup point guard position, bringing in someone like DeLon Wright would be great. And uh, there's reports that there's a mutual interest between Ricky Rubio and the Cavs of getting back together. So uh, if you bring in Ricky as kind of coach Ricky, he, he's not going to play until January, but you know, he's, he's on the bench and maybe gives them an option after the trade deadline. If they were to make a consolidation move, I, I think there's a lot of interesting ways that the Cavs can get better throughout the course of the season and not just focus on making the moves this offseason because they feel like they have to. And I do think that's important to keep in mind is one, I'm also a firm believer in like, let's get Karis LeVert a training camp and practice time, a uh, more practice time with the team. And then also is in the Cavs situation specifically because they overachieved most pretty much none of their best players are in their prime. Jared Allen comes closest, I guess. And so there's that potential. You could do nothing or just like you said, the minor tweaks, and there is that runway for growth from within. And I could see reactions being, oh, if the Cavs want to get back to the playoffs in the East, like actually get out of the play-in um, or escape that territory entirely, like they needed to make a bigger swing. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like we saw Darius Garland just turned into an all-star. He made like a trillion percent on floaters. Like that dude is so good. Um, there's the potential for them to do very little. And actually, I know progress isn't linear, but they could just wind up being much better by virtue of letting their we, the word I said before, letting this talent, letting this core marinate a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, Ricky Rubio went down in December and in the end of December, and then the Cavs went through January with an 11 and four record. Uh, even without him, they managed to actually improve their, their winning percentage. And they were half game out of the one seed in the Eastern Conference. After that point, Lowry got hurt. Garland got hurt. By the time they came back, Allen was hurt. Lavert was out like uh, it, it just it, it was so brutal. And Garland, Mobley and Allen only played 40 games together last season, and they still had that level of success like that to me is really, really exciting. And you you just hope, you know, you, you get a little more support around them. And I, I really feel like there was kind of a, a cascading effect of the injuries, right? Like when Sexton goes down in game 11, all of a sudden there's more of a load of Ricky Rubio and then he goes down and then there's more of a load on Darius Garland and then he gets uh, the back issues that, that flare up. And when you add in some freak injuries like Jared Allen just happening to hit his finger on the rim and, and breaking it and missing a month and a half, like you you just you keep decreasing your room for error uh, throughout the course of the season. So I'm, I'm hoping that a full off season, a uh, little more support around them. Uh, even having like a full off season with Karis LeVert in a training camp, like I, I feel what he can bring in kind of that reserve role or uh, 28 minutes a night can really add some dynamic looks to their offense. So I, I, I'm excited about what this off season can be, even without a, a major shakeup because they're primed to do one at some point, but there needs to be the name available that justifies it. Like, I don't think DeJounte Murray is going to be on the trade market. I would love to make a massive run at DeJounte and consolidate some assets and, and just have these two dynamic guards playing together alongside Mobley and Allen. But that, that just doesn't feel realistic. Yeah, I fancy myself pretty good at spotting like what could be that next player, like the it player that becomes available. And right now it feels like there's a dearth of those candidates which yeah. makes it difficult. And again, why you shouldn't expect major changes. Justin, this was great. As always, are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do? 
Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cavzena. Just slap the Cavs into the Canada and you'll find me there. I apologize for everything you see after that fact. You can also uh, find me at the Chase Down Podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. If you're listening to it, you can find the Chase Down there. Uh, you can also find us on the Cavs YouTube channel. We usually go live uh, for most of our podcasts there. So uh, that that's basically uh, where, where I'm confined to these days, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thank you for jumping on. As you know by now, I'll be pestering you again in the future once this offseason is, is all said and done. And hopefully everything goes well for the Cavs and they continue to stay relevant and people actually want to talk to me as a result. 